listening to Pick Hard Talk exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome listeners to another episode of Picard Talk. This week is episode 6, The Impossible Box. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation and social commentary. Chattel bay doors are open, torpedo tubes are ready. This week has Nerik created the first interstellar curling tournament on the Borg Cube. Will Nerissa franchise the first Romulan Borger King? Will we find Deanna Troy's divorced Riker? Let's find out as we deep delve. As usual, I'm joined by Mark Pollard. How are you, sir? I'm much less emotionally tortured than I was last uh, last year last episode we might have been tortured last year as well possibly we're watching Discovery I, I can't remember <laughs> it's been blanked from my mind although every time I try and remember it in my dream it stops halfway through would you say you enjoyed this yeah I did yeah. I thought it was okay that was good. I enjoyed it. Obviously, I'm a big fan of... Oh, sorry. What do you think, Mark? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> it's all about me, man. <laughs> no, no, do tell me. Your way is irrelevant. <laughs> Completely. And I liked it because it was Borg-centric, which is the name of my autobiography. <laughs> and the tennis players as well. Indeed. I enjoyed it. This episode, hopefully, will um, unpack it a bit more for listeners. Yes, indeed. Indeed. But we've but got a new feature first, haven't we? You read my mind, sir. Well, we're going all pro. We're trying our best, aren't we? We're trying to go pro. We've got a new segment we've got a news section a new news section yeah for comments and and thoughts and reviews and stuff that we can give you a shout out if, That's if you give us a bit of a push tell me more to a person who's a little bit naive or not what would this mean well we love debating we do it's fantastic there's only so much chewing of the facts that mark and i can do amongst ourselves so we're keen to hear everybody else's thoughts which is the whole point of it everybody's thoughts are valid if you start getting mean then we will tear you a new one metaphorically and and literally speaking, of we course. We will find you and we will hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, we want to hear everyone's thoughts, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, uh, whether it's about our show, whether it's about the show itself, whether it's about a particular episode or a character. It's all good because there's nothing better than spending our time debating a TV show. We're doing a podcast about it after all. Absolutely. That's what we want to do. If you do want to comment, then you can do it on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. It's at Picard Talk if you want to try and find us. If you hashtag Picard Talk, it's a lot easier for us to find. We're doing polls now straight after the release of each show, which enables you to vote on how good or bad you thought each episode was. Stick your thoughts and your comments in and if if you do that, we'll give you a shout out in this new section. If you want to email us, it's picardtalk at thepodstation.co.uk. And we'd also like you to give us a review on Apple or Google Play. It's fantastic if we can get a review. Again, we'll read it out. We'll give you a shout out. We've got a couple to read in a second, which is all very exciting. Sounds very professional, um, doesn't it? It does. And it's important for us because it gets us up the rankings, which means that more people can see the show. Hopefully we'll get more listeners. And ultimately, the more comments and interactions and positivity that we get, the more of this that we can do. Well, there's only so much ranking that we can do together. (laughs) So please help us with the ranking. (laughs) Because we're only so good on our own. Yeah, and it does get tiring. (laughs) If you start coming knocking... (laughs) If you start knocking on our door, if you start knocking on my door in the middle of the night when I'm doing my keepy-uppies, I'm going to be most perturbed. (laughs) If you start going in for the kiss... (laughs) 
I'll try not to. Let's do some curling instead. <laughs> this new section, we're going to call it Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open. First and foremost, let's give some shout-outs to people who have given us some comments. We've got Sin on Twitter. She said, just finished listening to episode one. Going to move on to episode two after lunch. Love your voices. Who's that, Sin? Sin. S-Y-N. Oh, right, okay. That's very nice of her, wasn't yeah. it? Well, thank you, because we don't like our voices. No, we hate listening to ourselves. One of the things we, I'm always talking about is when I'm editing these shows, and Mark said the same, we just we like each other's, don't we? We do. But we don't like our own. No. Which is very weird, but thank you for that. Andy Lemkin, he threw a couple of comments on, he said, I've just started listening to Picard. I feel dirty cheating on Ben and Adam from Greatest Gen, but I was dying for some more content on my long commute. Great show. Subscribed and we'll review for sure. Thanks for more Star Trek content. I'm happy to be his bit on the side. Yeah, you can share us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're happy not, we're with We're not that. charging you. No, you can enter our box anytime. Indeed, come on in. <laughs> he also he also commented about last week's episode because we mentioned, of course, the uh, rather graphic scene with the eyeball. Oh, uh, that you didn't and, like the eyeball one, did you? Well, no, I, I thought it was great. Well, what I mean is you, you square me. Yeah, yeah. The issue was about the use of the F word that people were having an issue mm. with as against the level of graphic violence. So Andy quite rightly pointed out that Star Star Trek absolutely loves eye torture porn and bizarrely horrific gore. Have you not seen how many times Seven has gone straight up Terminator in Voyager? I feel like people are cherry picking Star Trek when making these complaints. That's true. Fair I think enough. people forget actually the amount of shows have been before and they don't really go back into the old Star Trek and to compare against now. Well, they did another one. He actually referred to, I think it was the end of season one of Next Gen where Starfleet's been infiltrated by them ginormous worms. That's right, yeah. That was, it called, was it a parasite one? Yeah, yeah. and the he- Admiral's head explodes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a fair comment. Absolutely. And um, We've also got Brett Cooper off Twitter. Hello, um, Brett. He says, gratuitous violence, killed love character, given Picard comedy accent, have seven commit murderous revenge and end with the least assuming character commits cold bloody murder. Yep, cover most of the bases for me. That was about the last episode. Didn't sound particularly pleased with that one. I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Klingon007JP on Instagram. He was engaging with us on the old socials last oh, week, nice. so Welcome. thank you very much Welcome for following. Welcome aboard, Klingon. Hope you're enjoying the show. We've got uh, Ben Prangle, who's actually going to come on the show at some point, hopefully. Hello, Ben. Hi, Ben. He said, what is going on with Picard's French accent? If it hadn't been a 10-episode run, I would have enjoyed this as an away team slash holodeck episode, but time is a premium here so this felt too much like a filler which is kind of how I feel about that episode now I've had the chance to digest it I'm going to retract me 8 and I'm going to give it a 7 and it narrowly missed out on a 6 okay because I feel exactly the same Ben we are one we are in synergy do I I feel a bit of flip-flopping going on from the Pollard from that last episode I was just torn but I have decided that it was too much of a filler Okay. I agree with Ben. Public um, opinion wins. Exactly. <laughs> Something that you can sway me with your comments, guys. We've got Rich Brewer on Facebook. He Hello, said, Rich Brewer. Hi, Rich. He said, just because it has Star Trek in the title doesn't mean it's good. Do you know what? That's a valid point. And I am also one of those people who bought a Star Trek lunchbox because it had Star Trek on it. At which point I said, are you talking about the TV series or the podcast or both? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, Richard says, you're fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Phew. He's obviously not overly keen on the new Picard show. The poll that we ran had 43% thinking that episode five was refreshing and enjoyable. Okay. So, well, I enjoyed the episode last week. I think I would go the other option, which was fun but dumb, okay. which came in at 21%. Hmm, interesting. We've got a couple of reviews. So we've got Glitter Horse 23. Fantastic username. Well, Love gl- it. Glitter Whore. Horse. Horse. I mean, that's a, that's a thing, though, as well. What? Glitter Horse. Glitter Horse. Glitter Horse. <laughs> hey, whatever floats you boat. This is, did you find it on Free Cloud? <laughs> yeah, it just it popped up when I was flying in. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first podcast that I've subscribed to in my life. I love the show. It's very easy to listen to. The hosts have great bants. He says banter, but bants. Well, know. I was going to say banterbury tales. I find it really useful as I haven't seen any of the old Star Trek, so the podcast is useful with background context to this new series. So that's cool. Thank we try, you very much, We, we try, Horse. don't we? We try Glitter Horse. We've got another five-star review. This is from Geek007. These guys know their phases from their phrases. Hey! hey. Knowledgeable, thought-provoking and informative. Okay, that's good, isn't it? Five um, stars. He must have been listening to the wrong podcast there. You sure it's us? <laughs> yeah. I like their style, even if they do lose me on occasions, not being a pointy-eared in-person, you understand. Like their film review podcast Wee! shout out to a film policy nice good lad this special site is informative and shouting for involvement so as the well-known star trek phase goes live long listen and prosper very good thank you very much for that geek 007 and was that five stars you say five stars nice and then we've got another five star review i'm not going to read everything but we've got um, i've enjoyed watching picard and also enjoyed these lively chaps dissecting each episode afterwards this podcast is worth a listen if you're a fan of the series. That's interesting, isn't it? So, yes. I, I think, think we had a negative review, but I basically sold him to the Ferengis. <laughs> How much latinum did you get? I got 16 bars of gold press latinum. Nice. It would have been 17, but unfortunately... He was missing a star. He was missing a star, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your comments. Give us some more. We love it. Thank you very much. If you want a shout out, throw it in there and we'll we'll give you one. We'll give you a shout out as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. Shall we move on to uh, doing a deep delve of the impossible bot? Two marks, deep delve. This week's synopsis, Picard and the crew track Soji to the Borg Cube in Romulan space, resurfacing haunting memories for Picard. Meanwhile, Narek believes he finally found a way to safely exploit Soji for information. Discuss. On our poll, which remains open until the uh, close of play on Wednesday, at the moment, 75% of you think it's a Hugh Well Done Son episode, which is, out of the four categories, is probably good. You largely think it's a good episode. What did you think, Mark? I like this episode. I think because I'm a little bit biased towards Borg, I enjoy any episode, and this episode for, for me, dusted off previous there was a lot of shout outs to most of the previous Borg episodes that we've seen that have been Picard centric we get to see a flashback to the first contact which is actually a flashback of a flashback one of the easter eggs I'll explain later the first contact with the Borg Queen and things like that and we see the Hugh Borg link again in Descent Part 1 and 2 and Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 so for me it was just a really good episode because it was Borg centric and I'm just a big fan of the Borg. I'm just glad that well I say they've listened to me they haven't because this was already finalised well before we got to say it this was 54 minutes long this was a longer episode than all the other ones this is what i have been systematically banging on about pretty much every episode of this show just to make it 10 minutes longer as a result of which this episode didn't feel rushed like some of the previous ones have i think i mentioned in the last episode we would have probably had the equivalent of a full episode extra if we'd have had 10 minutes added on to the end of each of the first five episodes for me this was more like it should be give me an hour because what was it 56 
56 minutes? 54. 54 minutes. This episode, when it ended, when the credits rolled, I was like, wow, okay. It didn't feel any longer as such, although it was. And I just felt the story just naturally It had time to breathe, didn't it? And so because of the fact that we're not shoehorning stuff in, it was just a really nice, reasonably paced episode that seemed to get us a bit closer. And I'm quite interested about the title being The Impossible Box. Well, which box are we talking about? Well, Are we talking about Narek's box? The Borg box? Are we talking about Gerati's box? Gerati's box. We're not... (laughs) Talking about hairs. We are talking about Soji being a puzzle box inside a Borg cube that is essentially a puzzle box and Narek playing with a puzzle box, which is a cube, like a Rubik's cube, and it's called the Impossible Box which is basically a puzzle box. Think Hellraiser. I know, but Vios had to crack into a box on the way to a box. There was some box cracking going on. We may not ever find out where that went. I think we all know where that went. Yeah, yeah. 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 Let's not pretend we don't know where that went. Sorry, I might have looked away then. It was just too uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Should we try and... Let's just make some sense of this episode, seeing as we've literally just watched it again and our heads are about to melt through our ears. So we start off with the dream sequence, which then leads us into another Narek and Soji in the bed, awkward, horrible romance scene, as far as I'm concerned. Do that Mills and Boone under the duvet, sheety, not shitty, sheety... (laughs) It could have been because it was... Was white. Yeah, true. Yeah. He says, is that your mark? <laughs> Not my mark. Not my, your mark. Your mark, aren't you? Not my ah. mark. Nice. They do the, the under the duvet kind of lovey-dovey. Oh, we're all hiding from the world under But our... they don't because everything that comes out of Narek's mouth has got like a, an edge to it and everything that Soji says back to him is equally edgy. I, I do like his style though. I do this with people. You're so, an ass. Yeah, and I'll own it. I do it. I once gave someone a compliment. So let me tell you the story because it's quite funny. We'll be the judge of that. Well, you will. This is also potentially another shout out to our mutual friend. Ooh, Gareth. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> we were queuing the boots queue uh, because at this point it was when they were about to introduce the pay your own stuff without paying staff which is ridiculous anyway well where do you stand on this because one of my friends quite rightly said if he wanted to work in Tesco's or any other supermarket unless Tesco's wants to be a sponsor, sponsor. <laughs> the game, he would have got himself a badge and a uniform I totally agree no I stand with him I haven't been trained to swipe 20 items in less than a minute so my shopping takes longer to buy if I go on the pay as you go than and also, you would never got the right money. The machine goes, ah, warning, warning, shit machine, shit machine, shit machine. And what happens? Oh, that's right, yeah. A person with 14 chromosomes has to come along and help me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we're moving off topic. We are, but it'll all make sense in a minute because I'm going to tell you about my Boots meal deal. Um, I was basically in the queue waiting to be served. And or was... any other meal deal, unless Boots wants to be a sponsor. <laughs> and in the queue, there was a lovely looking lady. Gareth was there. I would turn to her and I said, oh, you've got lovely looking skin. I just want to buff you like a mahogany table. Oh, dude. That's what I said. So what I did is I kind of gave a little bit of niceness and in the same sentence destroyed it completely. So nothing could ever happen because you know how that ends. You see, you get to know one another and then you kind of, you have the sort of honeymoon period, don't you? And then you start hating each other and then you just separate. So what I did in that moment, I ran ahead of myself in the process of that chase and realised it was going to end in tears and thus created that sentence to destroy it before it began. (laughs) And Um, I get the feeling that the link to this is where Narek does it. So Narek's under the duvet and he's saying, oh, you know, you just got lovely... He doesn't, he doesn't know. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is, you don't really exist, do you? (laughs) 
He's like, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> and then she asks him a question that he blatantly refuses to answer before then starting to probe her with more questions to which he never responds to any of hers. It's one of the least romantic exchanges. He's basically a cop. She... Loves it. <laughs> well, she seems to tolerate it because... I, it's massive. I just don't... <laughs> Because I just don't understand. I just don't understand what they're seeing each other. To be, well, I know what he sees because he wants he's to got, get information. Yeah, he's, he's got, got an agenda. agenda. She, I don't understand why she's hanging around for this because he's, he's an ass. He's not giving it anything in return, is he at all? Absolutely he's nothing. He's stone cold. And she's going, oh, yeah, but I, want, I, just, I just really love you and all this and that. And he's going, mm, yeah. And then she asks him his name. Now, whether this is because she wants to call out during coital times, which is a, a new publication that's come out and I've subscribed to. Uh, it's only £1.99 and a, <gasps> and a part works. The same way, in fact, as the Romulans are building the new queen. Week by week, you get an arm or a leg or some sort of wrist. <laughs> so coital times is the way forward. She wants a name and he won't give her a name, will he? He's like, one of his names, Sid. Um, Sid, I'm arriving. <laughs> but he won't tell it. He's, he's a little bit cagey, isn't he? If you're in a relationship and somebody says, you know, they've obviously been boinking for at what? least a few days. Been what, sorry? Boinking. What's that? You know. Okay. Uh, exchanging fluids on, on a... <laughs> <laughs> that noise is me pulling the face that looks like I've just smelt poo. If you've been going at it for a few days, I don't think it's unreasonable for one of the two people... Days?! <laughs> <laughs> I've not been taking Lucas What are you doing days? <laughs> you don't mean continually, do you? No, I don't mean continually. I Flip mean, I think I would have died two days ago. I mean, intermittently in between the sock sliding and uh, sandwiches. Date. Yeah. If one of the two parties says, uh, so what's your real name? And the other one won't answer the question. I mean, that's a red flag in anybody's dating book, if you'd ask me. Yeah. And also, if your name is basically vowels. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your name? <laughs> like, what? Well, I, I mean, we'll come to that later because I, I suppose the, the intonation from him telling her his real name, although we still don't know it is his real name, so it's hardly likely it might not be, no. is that he has fallen in love with her. I don't buy that one iota. I think he sympathised with her intended downfall at the end. So when he leaves her to be gassed to death by radiation poisoning at the end. Yeah. I mean, if you love somebody... You don't gas them. You don't gas them. Unless you do that thing that some horrible people do and put your head under the duvet. <laughs> you fart bring the food cover over. That's the only connection to that. Maybe it's an allergy for that. I don't know. Maybe. But he doesn't do that though, does it? It's a bit no. more... Is it on a, a bit different, more brutal. Is it on a different level to the old yeah. uh, fight under the cover. I think... For me, he doesn't love her because you don't let that happen. If you truly loved somebody, you'd be figuring out a way to get the information but to enable her to escape. Yeah, I wouldn't have, particularly for me, I wouldn't have gassed. I would have maybe started with pulling off the nails, maybe to take a finger or two. Yeah, and I don't I don't even think he's got a thing for her. I, I, think, I think he's more upset there. Crocodile tears for me. Yeah, I think they are. And I, th- I think it's more of a situation where he's upset about her humanity, what is the auto-heuristic pathways he refers to, and is more upset because of the fact, from a scientific point of view, he's seen something in her that's a bit unusual for a synth. So they're the crocodile tears, really, for me. I think so. Yeah. I don't buy this love. I think at most he sympathises that he has to put her down, so to speak. The end, I just don't buy it. And I'm glad that Narek's true intent Tensions have come to the fore and they have been split up because those two being together on the ball cube was quite literally making me feel a bit vomit. <laughs> the environment's just not conducive to romance, is it? No. It's like trying to have a, 
a relationship on a penal colony. Well, I'll tell you how strong this relationship was when Soji is quite rightly having a bit of a meltdown about the fact that everything she owns is 37 months old. His bedside manner seems to have got up and left on the first available flight because she's visibly upset by the fact that her whole life is fake and he's just probing her with questions. Yeah, at some point I was going to expect her to say, there are five lights! <laughs> it felt like that. He's going, so uh, what What were your dreams about? And uh, why, why do you think that? And, and, and has anything weird happened? She's going, oh my God, my life's fake. Yeah, no, but let's just focus on my questions, please. Yeah, he's, got his, he's got a notebook and pad out. Give the girl a hug, friggin' Nora. Yeah, even if you do like a sort of really pathetic... Pat on the pat head. On, yeah, you know, or stroke someone's shoulder. Yeah. That thing to kind of give them that tactile feeling that they're actually valued. Something. But not from this at all, which is weird. But then, not only does he do the lack of the love, but he goes, I'll tell you what we're going to do. And he does this classic thing, doesn't he? Well, I don't know. You tell me. The classic thing where he did this uh, ancient Borg ritual. Oh, we wheel this one out and well, he goes... the Rome, an ancient Romulan ritual, you mean? This time it was. Yeah. There seems to be a... Um, Always introduce a new yeah. Borg. Yeah. That must be his MO for dating. He just comes up with shit games Ancient. in his head, yeah, doesn't it? says, anything that has the words ancient before it, clearly you know that is not... So the next thing he'll say is, just a quick question if you don't mind me asking, does this smell like chloroform to you? <laughs> And the next minute you wake up and he goes, oh, right, this, this is what, an ancient Romulan ritual? And they go, now I've been studying history for quite a while. In fact, I would say I'm probably one of the top Romulan specialists in history and I've never heard of this. It's like, no, no, it's true. It's a true story. Come and look at my decking. <laughs> Come into a room where we've got loads of lights sporadically laid out on the floor that you've got to walk around with your eyes shut which basically it's a crystal maze well it's a health and safety risk if nothing else I was expecting the guy from Bled- oh, Rocky Horror Show hang on I, I mean first and foremost you've got to take your shoes and socks off which means you're going to stub your toe on the lights as you walk into them because you've got your eyes shut and you're trying to walk around them yeah and what happens if he's not there to talk to her while she's walking around third degree burns <laughs> well at least second degree <laughs> because I thought that was shit. As an ancient ritual goes, it was rubbish. There's a reason why it's ancient. It never took off. We sort of had a chuckle to ourselves when it came on because when they went in and he went, right, take your shoes and socks off uh, and shut your eyes. We were joking that we thought she was going to open again. It was going to be standing there in a gimp suit. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, it's yes. date night. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> I love you. By the way, my name's (laughs) Flong. (laughs) Flong by name. Flong Flong Plenty, which is a a Bond villain, I think. Or a porn name. In Romulan, in the Romulan place. They're separate now. They've got the information they need from old soldier. Basically, that's now done, isn't it? Well, it's... I think he's ruined that relationship a little bit. You reckon? I don't think that... You can't come back from that, can you? I don't know. There's, There's some sock sliding dates you could probably go on that might claw it back. The radiation, you touched upon the thing you said, why didn't you use the acid that was spat out the other other one? Well, it's Dodge. shit. Right, bearing in mind he's gone through all of that effort not to trigger her, what is it? What's the BMT. word? Yeah. <laughs> he's gone to all these lengths not to activate her, but to extract the information he needs. If you're going to then try and kill her, do what they did with Daj, which was a bomb. Stick a bomb in that room. Put a force field around that room. Yeah. 
blow her up instantly. Whereas instead they've got the world's slowest moving red gas. Well, and if you're a synthetic, it shouldn't really kill you. It depends what the radiation was. If it was theta, well, in theta, actually, radiation would be different, wouldn't it? All right, Dr. Latham. And welcome back to the EMH. <laughs> but it gives a chance to be activated and chance to escape. And also the floor's wood. Yeah. So she's just punching through the wood. And now what he's done is not only has he just used really most ridiculous way to kill a synth, but now she's put a hole through the deck so that radiation can go through the rest of the ship, where you've got mostly Borgs who are cybernetic entities. And, and it's, and it's going to cost a fortune to fix that and revarnish that floor. They've got the information they need, though. I mean, he, he might have made a right, he might have dropped a bollock there with trying to kill her, but they've got two moons and a, a storm, which narrows down where it is that the nest is, whatever that might be. Tell the listeners what you thought, because I've got, I think there's probably a little bit of value to this. We've touched upon it in a previous episode about Noonien Soon. You thought that that possibly could be. My memory is not the best, so forgive me if I'm slightly wrong, but I'm sure that in one of the earlier next-gen episodes when Data is first, there's like a homing device that's activated in his head and soon he brings Data back to the planet where he's shacked up yep. to, I think it was about the emotion chip or something. And I'm sure the planet he was at had some trees outside and it felt like it, it might be that base. When he ran off into hiding was around the time he was in a kind of a planet that was a little bit in, inhospitable. That isn't to say that discount what you're saying because if you want people to feel at home, you put some fake flowers up and plants and things. And you need some rain then to keep them alive. He could live in a biosphere, so you would have all the things that you're talking about. However, if you step outside the biosphere, he's probably on essentially Mars. Absolutely. So I mean, there's value in that and you wouldn't want to be around the corner would you no if you know you're going to get found and people are going to pump you for your information <laughs> hey or just or if your name's narek just pump you <laughs> you want to be far away from civilization or, or the general populace who are aware of your ability as soon as possible yeah anyway so interesting theory narek and the sister whatever her name is they're off Narissa. There. did we still feel there was a bit of an incest vibe going on because she still seems to like to let herself into narek's bedroom uninvited and play around with his stuff while he's not there it's less awkward We've moved past the awkwardness now. She's not as close. At one point, she did get in close and essentially massage his face a bit. There was still a weird bit in there. We've all been there, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I still think that's all a bit weird. Now, is she there on the cube in person or is she hologramming it in as a a message? I I can't decide. I thought she was on. I thought she was on it, observing from back room. I know, but she's been a Starfleet officer with no pointy ears, so presumably Starfleet go... Where the freaking hell is thingy? She hadn't been at a desk all week. When we had the scene with Commodore O, that this was an operative who was entrenched in a mission that presented her with the opportunity not to be seen regularly by Starfleet and gave... Commodore O plausible deniability on which means it makes it easier for Nerissa not to have to keep putting on the human makeup and everything else and keep herself operational whilst also being out on a Starfleet mission mm, maybe I mean I don't really care that much about it for being entirely honest the Commodore O scene was a little bit of a, a red herring because we don't really see her we haven't seen her for a couple of episodes we now. haven't seen anything no. Starfleety have we no so I don't know whether that was just to throw a curveball to the viewer and maybe think oh really is she involved in it it was merely just a story plot point to 
move that on. Well, you see, I think that the Starfleety link is more with Girati. Okay. Now, I say that because I have been listening to on Audible, who aren't a sponsor, but may well be, may in, the well future. be in the future. I've been listening to The Last Best Hope, which is the prequel book for this series. You don't have to listen to that book in order to understand this series, but actually, the more that I've been working my way through it, the more useful it is in giving you some seriously useful background information about this series. So you find out a lot more about Rafi and what her role was prior to, obviously, the downward spiral that we see now. Okay. Dr. Girati, we've previously hypothesised that she might be a synthetic. Yes. In the book, and I don't I don't want to spoil it too much, although I can't really, because I'm only about a third of the way through. Now, she meets Maddox when he's put to task on trying to come up with a solution for how to create enough ships to solve the whole moving the Romulans problem. Mm. She can't be a synthetic that Maddox was aware of unless, say, she's died since then and Maddox was so in love with her he's created the sex toy version of her as a commemorative... Like a special special one-off, like a yeah. limited, limited edition. Yeah. My other thinking is that if she's not that sort of synthetic, because that feels a little bit out there in terms of plausible theory, is that she was sent by the Federation to get in with Maddox to find out what he's doing almost as an undercover spy and has now he's been moved on to continue to act as that Federation spy in figuring out what Picard's doing and what he's up to. Okay, take your theory and add another layer to this. Could she be a Section 31 operative? Well, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I'm with you on that. Because she could be completely... She may not even be aware through reprogramming. She may not even be aware that she's an operative. Jason Bourne style. Yeah, she's got all these skills and she just responds to things. She could be given keywords or things that happen for her to just be... To click into action and not actually be fully aware of what she's doing. And then once she's like, for example, Maddox clearly killed Maddox. And there's no recollection of how that happened, really. There's definitely something there, isn't there? There is. I guess sticking nicely with a segue of Girati. I mean, she doesn't play a huge part in this episode generally in the storyline no. overhaul. She does set the uh, the ship on fire, metaphorically speaking, of course, at the very beginning because emotionally distraught after the rather callous murder of her former lover, she looks to fall into the arms of another man almost immediately. Who which, doesn't do that? Which seems a little bit uh, off, if you ask me. Well, you know, we've all, we've all been there, haven't we? You've killed... Your long-time lover. You know, you've just seen a guy <laughs> with his shirt off who's running around with a football. Who's got some skills, by the way. I mean, those are some proper them? footy yeah. skills. I'm not a big football fan myself. You, I know you're a lover. You don't need to be to appreciate the ball skills there. I mean, okay. he's clearly got ball skills both in the sense of football and other... Did you want to say ball skills one more time? Well, I was talking about ball skills in the football sense oh, and ball skills in the bedroom. Right, big balls. In the bedroom. Which is a novel that's out in Waterstone. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a sponsor. I mean, he's showing off his little ball skills, having a bit of a workout. Smacking him on the chin. Uh- <laughs> Oh, that's Soji. No. <laughs> he's playing his ball skills in the middle of the night, which is a slightly... Um- but is he, though? Is he playing them in the middle of the night? Because they're in space where it's always dark. Well, everyone seems to be in the room. Well, he actually says, sorry, did I wake you? Which implies that it's sleep time for everyone and he's bouncing a ball around off everybody's walls. I mean, that's a bit of a shit thing to do. Balls on your walls. I'm sorry, did did I wake you whilst I was slamming the ball against your door? Yeah, uh, funny d- about that. Didn't mean to. <laughs> he's doing some skills. Gerardi comes out to blurry see... Blurry-eyed. Yeah, blurry-eyed to see what the fuck's going on with all this noise in the corridor. 
corridor yeah. to find a topless Rios yeah. to whom she promptly propositions herself as yeah. she says, I've got an impossible box. Would you like to figure out how to get into it? And he says, see. <laughs> it was one of the EMHs. Yeah. Rios is trying to play with <laughs> Gerati's, Gerati's one puzzle box. Yeah. His puzzle box looks like a Rubik's Cube, not Rios's. <laughs> Which is just hairy. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> oh no. Think it before you say it, Mark. Yeah. Internal filters engaged. <laughs> I have no filter. I mean, Rios has gone from a philosophical theologian reading this book on legacy to literally walking around like George Peppard from the 80s. <laughs> Turning up in people's bedrooms, going, uh, I think you need a coffee. Rohypnol. <laughs> And that's kind of a bit of a twist in his character development because you were beginning to like him. I still I just do. Think, I, still I just think, think he's, he's a lounge. Brilliant. He's a lounge him. lizard. I love him. I love him. Yeah. Well, that's because you've been drugged. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone a bit creepy. Oh, I don't think so. Picard's left the ship immediately. He's gone. I don't think you. I don't. I don't think his relationship with Raffi is that kind of relationship. I think it's more just a mate looking out for another mate. So let me just ask you this question then. So if I turned up in your bedroom with a coffee that I push into your face and go, you need to drink this. Well, you would be happy with that, would you? Yeah, because if I if I needed help, if I was so paralytic that I needed help into my room, and then the following morning you come into my room to just check them all right. You've given give that a backstory. Coffee. How did I get into your room without me already well, being in the house? captain of the ship. You've presumably got access to everybody's room. Know, but <laughs> which, you know, sounds more creepy than <laughs> it was intended for. Pinnack, where do I sign? <laughs> Definitely sexual tension going on, isn't there? It's kind of been building up over the last few episodes, hasn't it? Yeah, you can see something's been happening. Rios has been building a relationship with Girati. I can see... I must have missed that. Why there's a connection. She comes over and talks to him about reading the book, and I think there was some another part in, in an earlier episode where he's quite a empathetic individual. Just because a lady says hello to you doesn't mean she fancies you. So I don't know doesn't where... Doesn't Rios' book. Well, okay. I know most men hate rejection don't they? That's what I missed on the previous episodes. Has there been some tension between those two characters? I wouldn't have said so. I mean, for me, this was a horrible handled scene because it didn't buy the fact that Rios would have just gone, oh, okay, mm. let's, let's go into my quarters. I would have expected him to go, uh, no, um, listen, you're clearly upset. There's clearly something going yeah, on. Yeah, we need to establish some barriers. I don't want to make you feel... Uh, more vulnerable and take advantage of your vulnerability by inviting you back to my quarters to show off my balls. Well, he says, <laughs> he says, are you all right? And she says, are you sure this will make you feel better? And she's like, yeah, just for a few hours, which is obviously quite an optimistic I was going to say hours, but worse than your days. <laughs> that was a clear indication that Rios knew there was something that wasn't quite right with her emotionally and, and mentally, which perhaps... And visually, because yeah, she doesn't she's look... Crying. <laughs> yeah, she's crying as she's smooching him. She's like tearful hugging, but that's not the indicator of a stable person. And yet it clearly led to some shenanigans. An opportunity an opportunity that he just thought, yeah, let's go with that. Which is strange because certainly there's a scene with Rafi and there's this scene. Well, he appears in Rafi's bedroom. Girati. The way he comes across, he's quite genuine in being able to recognise when people are having a hard time and seems genuinely interested in finding out what that problem is and helping if you can. I think most stalkers you meet would tell you they're most interested in the people that they're following. If you, you ask any stalker who's not been caught, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the life of a stalker mustn't be particularly interesting because you have to do what the other person's doing, don't you, all the time? You don't get to choose your own thing. <laughs> you do. You do. So I, 
I don't know. I, I thought it was a horribly handled scene. I didn't buy the whole sexy thing. Girati, I don't it was a bit think awkward. So, yeah, like pulling teeth. Because isn't the, the bit you picked up on where he's asking her? Yeah. We need to give context to this, don't we? Yeah. She's clearly horny. All right, so when he's asking her how she is, she's got horny written all over her face. And he's trying to tell her to wipe it off, but it's basically black marker pen. <laughs> she's been on a hen party and they've put horny all over her face. Well, we, we were joking about this because he asks her how she is, doesn't she? Which we're going to role play, aren't we? We should role play this. Y- you be Rios and I'll be Gerati. That's why I end up doing a really bad accent. Yeah. Ah, my grande lady. <laughs> I probably won't do the accent. This is how she responded, but I guess you can say what we thought she should have been saying at every single opportunity. So, I will. Okay. so go on then. That's that's a very sexy Rios pose that you've got there, mate. I've been playing football. Ah, how are you feeling? Horny. Uh, I'm tired. Horny. Tell me how. You, no. How, how are you feeling? Horny. No, I'm um, I'm sad. No. Tell me how you're feeling. Horny. <laughs> I'm emotional. Look, I'm, I'm gonna have to play some football in a minute. You're gonna have to tell me how you're feeling. Horny. <laughs> Murderous. <laughs> anyway, been nice chatting. Uh, let me just give you your th- spinal stroke. Oh no! Wait, wait. Where are you oh. going? I'm horny. <laughs> oh well. Oh, well, that boat sailed. Love. I'm going to have to talk to Rafiti. <laughs> Rafi. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to Rafi, who is in a drunken stupor, and I'm just going to break into her quarters and provide and help myself to her coffee machine and shove it in her face. <laughs> And then the coffee. Yeah, it was it was amusing, wasn't it? Because yeah. every time she was coming out with an emotional description, we're going, yeah, just tell him you're horny. Yeah, let's get it done. That's the only thing that's running through your head. Where do we see this going? So are we happy to stamp our theory here on Girati as being she's a Section 31-style Federation secret agent who has been told that she needs to destroy Soji for whatever reason, and we'll come to some theories at the end as to why that might be the case? I would certainly say that based on what I'm aware of from previous Star Trek canon. I mentioned it in a previous episode, it might have been last week, where the Section 31 are renowned for approaching Starfleet officers to join their ranks for the betterment of what they see to be how Starfleet should be shaped. Uh, it happened in Enterprise. It happened with the Dominion War, where they were trying to wipe out the, the founders, um, and they were trying to do genocide, essentially. And they, they approached Dr. Bashir, and he immediately told Cisco because he's a good Starfleet officer, and they ended up swerving that and not killing the founders. So there's definitely evidence to support this theory that they would not want to have any power balance where in fact the Romulans going back to the theory I had has control of the Borg because we do get a mention of what we're going to go on to I think seamlessly in a minute and so I think that that's definitely a good theory to be based on and Rios we've we mentioned his, his empathetic nature uh, we ran a poll on Twitter last week to Great. see who people felt was the most interesting and intriguing new character that would come across as part of JL's crew and Rios with 58% was quite far and away the most intriguing person in everybody else's head what demographic of those were women I don't know of a certain age I don't know it doesn't tell us okay I mean we see it with Rafi because we'll come on to Rafi I guess okay uh, which leads on nicely because he really does take care of Rafi when she comes out of the room to perform like a monkey for bloody Picard which is you went happy with that were you and it was a little bit out of character wasn't it that scene in the end I mean I, th- I thought it was a fabulous scene for Rafi I think Rafi is another character who from last episode and this episode is really filled out as a character for me and again she features quite heavily in the book the prequel okay. book and you get some good background on Rafi so I'm really starting to buy into this character and I think 
think she's brilliant. I don't know, Picard is quite brutal with the way he's handling Rafi. She's not in a good place. They seem to have made ze- he seems to have made zero effort to find out why she's back on the ship, mm. what it was she was trying to do and why it's failed. Is she okay? Yeah. All he does is knock on the door and goes Hello, Rafi, we need you to come and do a huge favour for me, please. Now, if that's okay. <laughs> In between drinks and so, drugs. drunk, high Rafi drags her sorry ass out of her room yeah. and has to burn a massive bridge with a former friend, pretty much degrade herself in calling for a favour out of the blue. Yeah. Only for Picard to clap quite condescendingly. I mean, I'm... I'm he slow sh- clapped her? He slow... I mean, I appreciate... I think the intention was that they were saying, wow, that's amazing. That's the Raffi I remember sort of applause. But I just don't think that's the Picard way of reacting to it because it didn't take a genius to see she was drunk, she was slow in her words before she made the call at the end of it she stumbles on her way to stand up Mm. so she's clearly not in a good place and anyone who witnessed that call will have been impressed by the way she handled it but ultimately saw what the response was from the captain who Mm. she contacted I just didn't buy this clapping thing it was it just felt quite brutal seemed a bit out of place didn't it for Picard's character and I don't think he meant it as a condescending clap, but it just seemed having she... Well, clearly, again, another situation where you've got a vulnerable lady who's under the influence of drinking drugs being asked to do something that's further putting her into a darker place. And then, like, a, a performing monkeys giving a round of applause. It's really manipulative of Picard, and this is where, I don't know, I'm almost finding myself not siding with him as a character. I'm, I'm looking to people like Rios, who seems more human, Elnor, who's more honest and genuine, Rafi, who's been broken by trying to do the right thing for people like Picard. I'm tending to go more towards those people rather than with Picard, which I don't like because obviously Picard was the the hero that mm. we we started following. And it speaks though to what you mentioned in the previous episode of the fact that he was being manipulative based upon the fact he knows he's dying. Yeah, briefly I was when we were watching this episode, it's like you would have a different take on how your last days were and you could go either way. You could be nice, I suppose, and just live your last days like a candle in the wind or you could just go, you know what? I've got two weeks to live and yeah, I'm just going to... have to be a cock about it, do you? You've got to think the fact that he's got this infinity with... He's got this thing with the Borg, hasn't he? He's literally outside the Borg cube ready to go back to a place that he's not probably dealt with for a while, just revisiting after all of those nightmares. He will do whatever it takes to get the job done and Picard's not always been that dogmatic about it but he has been a man who's got where he needs to be I know but I'm sorry to bang on about the book it's well worth reading it Rafi's background is that she was a former Romulan intelligence specialist right which explains why she seems so gifted in her investigations why she's so good at talking people into doing something that she needs them to do i mean she she was clearly a capable more than capable officer and she becomes picard's ceo for the whole romulan relocation project and throughout the parts of the book i've read so far he's massively in admiration of her and her skills because she's so effective at what she's doing i don't see any of that okay i see Picard using her for a 
purpose, but without any sort of recognition or even attempt to lessen the blow for her. He has a disposable crew, essentially, hasn't he? Yeah, that doesn't feel very Picard-like. Bearing in mind, his whole mission is to somehow right a wrong. Mm. He's, he's trying to do the right thing by helping Soji, but in the process of doing the right thing, he seems to be doing a million wrong things. It's like, come on, dude, that's not Picard. He's no. smarter than that. Yeah, I see that. Mm, I don't know. I hope Raffi gets a bit of redemption at some point, because I think she deserves it, and I'd like to see more of the Raffi that we saw a glimpse of when she was... the way. I mean, the way she negotiated that conversation with the captain was pretty cool. I like that scene, and I would agree with you with what you said before about the her character being given a bit more time to develop, and it shifts what we began to believe in episode one, episode two, giving her a bit more credit for... Well, I suppose you've got a bit more on me. You've been listening to the... the well, pre- I'm a little bit annoyed about this, because I don't think you should have to do that, and if I'm going to be particularly blunt with the... Uh, Star Trek ownership people. Absolute candor. I, w- I would say, if you're going to make us have to read a prequel to have to get vital background information, so you want us to stick to the canon that you've created, why have we not got the right the same Maddox playing? Maddox? Agreed. Do you know what I mean? It, it can't, you've got to cut it both ways. If we've got to go to the extra effort to be on board with what you're doing, you get your ass into gear and do the same thing. This is probably more of a corporate decision. If you're going to have to do a prequel, just give us three more episodes. Yeah. Or, as we've already said... Short Trek type ones. Well, I wouldn't even say short trek because then, then we who don't live in the world of America wouldn't get to see them until after the show's aired anyway. No. Just do. I mean, Discovery is 16 episodes. This one's 10. It's, it's, a, it's a corporate decision. It's basically Amazon buying off CBS the show and they're going, we'll do 10 because if it doesn't work, we haven't spent that much money. Next season, a bigger season because they go, people love it. We'll now buy more episodes off you and upgrade the season purchase. The outcome of that is the fans and the hardcore fans and the new fans will be end up short because they're getting 40 minute episodes as a whole because okay we've had this one to 54 minutes but that's one of 10 which is not the name of a Borg designation and we've basically had 10 episodes which is six short of Discovery and Discovery I would say is more experimental than Picard because Picard's got wonderful wealth of backstory and the people love him in fact I think out of a poll that was made between the five captains came out top next to Cisco therefore you would know straight away you're buying into something that's a guarantee and it clearly is a guarantee because it got season two ordered before the first he's episode there. Come. Exactly. Based on that assumption, you would want to reward the fans and go, well, I'll tell you what, at least do 13 episodes and then you wouldn't need an audiobook, you wouldn't need short tracks, you wouldn't need to buy or listen to anything that came before because you could establish the story. I would be happy with three extra 56 minute episodes that told the story and then we bring it right up to speed and then we introduce Picard in episode four, you know, because that would be all right. And then we go, ah, okay, we now know where that fits in history and we now know why he's like he is, why he's not in Starfleet anymore. And then any fans, even if you're not a fan and just watching it because you like sci-fi, you'd be like, well, that's good. Do you know what I'm saying? That for me would be the way forward. But, you know, who am I? I am merely a podcaster who's a fan. I do hope we start to see a bit more of the good Picard that we fell in love with because I don't feel we're seeing it when Raffi is sort of carted off to her room to try and get her head down. It's Rios who takes her away and does all the things that I would have expected Picard to have done to go in and check Mm. she's all right. And he doesn't bother his ass. He's too engrossed in what he's doing as opposed to Rios who looks after her. It was when Picard beams down to the Borg cube Mm. and meets up with Hugh. Hugh. No, Hugh. Hugh. He. Me. Hugh. Me. No. No, Hugh. Hugh. 
Hugh. No, me. Us. Whee! When he beams down to Hugh and Hugh embraces him as like an old friend, mm. that started, that felt just vaguely slipped back into that. Ah, that's that's better. That feels That scene normal. actually is the antithesis of the other. This is the thing with this whole, the visual aspect to it is it's all about power play. You've got Picard and his dirty half dozen. Picard knows he's dying. He's picked people who... One of them slightly dirtier than the rest. Well, apparently so, as this episode certainly shows. Dirty half dozen, he beams down, and me Immediately he's having flashbacks and his PTSD is kicking in. He nearly falls off a bloody bridge. And then Hugh, who's the guy who essentially he led to salvation, was a mentor ultimately. Picard in that moment is visually and emotionally affected and diminished. All I saw was a frail old man who was f- fearful. Prior to that scene, he's slow clapping someone. This episode for me is all about vulnerability as just a huge tale, not a Hugh, not Hugh's tale, a huge tale of how you can be vulnerable and how not to treat people with vulnerability. Picard there is not in a good place. No. He's at his most weak. Although if I was having a a PTSD trigger, uh, I wouldn't be trying to cross a bridge whilst doing it. I'd have probably either waited for it to settle down or for somebody to come and get me before before I tried to negotiate a a bridge without handrails. Well, a walkway, essentially. Like a gantry, isn't it? Without handrails. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the big drop. Yeah, I think handrails are futile when you're on a point cube. <laughs> hey. But what you got there is a bit of PTSD f- forward slash vertigo. It's suddenly turned into a Hitchcock movie for a minute. Yeah. You've got this XB, for want for a better word, Hugh, who is coddling him and, and saying, come on, come on, grab your balls, mate. Let's let's get on. Let's do it. They're not they're not Borg anymore. We don't need to be worried. That for me was a massive shift in what we'd just seen before. I thought the Hugh character was brilliant. That is the same character and same actor who not Hugh played him before. Yeah, no. Which is means why didn't we do it with Maddox? I really bought into how concerned he was about Picard and how he could appreciate what he was going through and the again the empathy that he was showing towards all the former Borgs. Mm. I just thought he was a really good character. I really enjoyed him. That's a good decision to bring him back because he's pivotal. They've got the Borg reclamation project, haven't they, where they're trying to bring, take the Borg appendages off them and get them back to a point where they're more human-like. Now, he's the best character to be the segue to that, isn't he? That was a bit of a development on what we've seen previously. That explains some of what they're doing. They still don't necessarily explain what they're doing with the bits that they've harvested from these former drones. I mean, the black market for Borg artifacts or components, technology. I think there's still something more to be had from that from a commercial point of view again if you've got control of the only Borg cube or a weaponry any Borg technology with the ability to learn other technology the other thing they do is they harvest as we find one of the easter eggs I've got later on in the in this episode they harvest technology from the species they assimilate and they adapt that into their own collective which is why they're quite a, a formidable foe the thing that you would want to make money off is if you can harvest these parts and go, well, wouldn't you want ablative shielding that's adaptable? Uh, I think I will. Thank you very much. What's that worth to you? Uh, a lot of money. So you have got this humane, let's get them back to being a bit more human. Well, we thought the Romulans were doing this to harvest the technology and the parts as weaponry, but yeah. there seems to be another part of that because we didn't see that they were keeping the drones that they'd brought back from being a unit. We thought it was just Romulans, didn't we? We thought they were keeping the Romulan ones alive and, and, not the others. and, and the others they were just throwing down the garbage chute yeah, into we're, space. We're in actual fact. It seems, it that, seems yeah. that they're trying to restore those people back to what they were before. And I think that's uh, Hughes' position. That's what he's trying to do. I know he's aware that there's Tel Shah have got a different agenda 
and clearly have spies in the camp. He's not daft. Well, he mentions that they've got a new queen. Kind of replaced the queen they had, or queens, because we don't know for certain there's just one. Well, we know there's been two played by different actresses. That doesn't mean there's one. And we talked about last episode, didn't we, that there's definitely the chance that they could rebuild another queen from components. But he's now making the point that now they've all they've done is replace their old queen with a Romulan queen is where the Telshar fits in. And I don't think that the Telshar have got a completely different agenda. And Hugh is why he's best placed for that as the director. Because all he's interested in is bringing people like himself back to humanity. Rehabilitate. Yeah, I'm saying humanity, but we're talking any species that was assimilated across canon. That's where his focus lies. The Telshar are just looking for technology and maybe agenda. The one issue I have with this is the how well they're able to recover people's aesthetic appearances. Mm. We've looked at Seven and we've seen Picard, both of whom were Borgs, but now have little to no examples of them being. I know Seven's still got some bits visible, but yeah. there's no scarring as such. But, well, she was mostly Borgified. I mean, Hugh, what they've done with Hugh, isn't it? You can see the scar line, can't you, where he had his eye implant? Yeah. With, Loc- with Locutus he had well it implants. seems like they're rehabilitating them but on a budget because people have got melty facey looks mm. to them where scarring scar like tissue massive scarring whereas you'd assume that in those that in the same way that Crusher was able to fix Picard mm. that they would be able to restore a bit like having plastic surgery yep. their face to how it looks bearing in mind that they have the ability now to make a human look like a Klingon or a, a Romulan look like a human so there is obviously technology that allow you to manipulate the person's aesthetic appearance. You'd think they'd be able to do that, whereas I don't know whether it's because they don't have the means to do it on the cube or they must have the technology. The only thing I can think that adds some sort of context or reasoning behind it is imagine Cold War Russia kept them outside of the rest of the world and and, and as such technological advances and things. You think about the Ronoborg Cube and Romulans who've got a diminished infrastructure anyway. The Federation are advancing in science and other areas the Romulans have been focused on more military-based advancements. You ain't going to have access to all of the things that you would normally have inside the Federation. And the Federation is multiple planets that share information and technology. The Romulans have cut themselves away from that, and it's just them. So they've got this iron curtain, and thus, I would imagine, instead of having the ability to improve your skin, because we've seen in Discovery, without massive spoiler being mentioned, we've seen how you can very, very easily fool someone to believe you to be a different species. So clearly that exists, and in, in that period, with a different species sharing technology to take that philosophy further if they've kept themselves away from the federation and hugh states in the conversation with Picard that he's a Federation member. He looks slightly more advanced in how he looks. Okay, yeah, he's got some scarring and a dodgy eye. But in terms of the how Picard, they look similar and they don't have much scarring, whereas the others massively scarred, scarred, aren't they? Yeah. So I can only assume that's because the technology and the um, availability to equipment they don't have. Mm. Hugh does very well in trying to get Picard into their pro ball campaign. <laughs> I yeah. mean, he, he really pushes that one. I was half expecting him to pull a pamphlet out of his pocket and go so Picard <laughs> sign up sign up yeah do you want to be our uh, ambassador save the Borgs free Borg campaign free Borg <laughs> it's like chew Borg is that like an alcohol well he quite aptly does it I mean of course Picard says nothing because Picard's in selfish mode they want to beam up <laughs> yeah at this point they are hotly trying to pursue Soji to try and find her which I suppose is my biggest criticism of Hugh in this episode which is his uh, lack of understanding of personal boundaries because much the same as Daj's flat was rather inappropriately accessed with 
Gratis. They seem to just burst into Soji's bedroom to find her dirty skids all over the floor and a lot of mess and, and start no... rooting through her stuff. It's not like, oh, she's just a messy person yeah. and she's somewhere on the cube and we should probably find her to see if she's all right. They just burst in and start rifling through her stuff. All you need to do is go, computer, locate Soji. They only check when they get to a bedroom where she might be on the cube. It's like, well, why don't you check before? Beforehand, yeah. Also, that makes more sense because you don't need to walk to her quarters because you'll have already asked where she is and they won't say she's in a quarters I mean I appreciate for story plot action purposes why they did that we wouldn't have a podcast if we didn't pick holes in silly shit like that (laughs) that's true (laughs) so yeah we particularly found it funny that uh, whilst Hugh and Picard when they see that uh, Soji peers between decks and they realise she's being activated they sort of dash after her as they're running through the corridors (laughs) they have that fella who goes alright Locutus Hiya. Do you remember me? Oh, you've lost weight. I'm 12 of two. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. It's like, oh, hey. I know him. It was like Locutus for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And built up these wonderful relationships with other Borg. Yeah. I mean, what are the chances on the billions and billions and billions of Borgs that the one person who knows Locutus... Yeah, but they should all know him because they're a collective. But it's the fact that he knows him outside of the collective. Well, no, because they retain the memories. No, they do. But, okay, well, then, then, then okay, there's two questions that we've raised now, then. Why isn't Ooh. everybody saying, All right, Picard. <laughs> why isn't every Borg saying that? Why does Seven not know who he is? When she says we don't know, we've never known each other because Rafi says it to Rios in the last episode and they go, they don't know each other, but they've both been Borg. Well, they did sort of know each other. They had that moment. When they, when they were talking, a couple of times when they were talking on the show, it was clear that they didn't know each other in terms of having met previously, but there was that air of them knowing each other, which I, I believe was the collective. Well, yeah, that's the collective bit, isn't it? I suppose there's the link from having shared each other's potential memories as such. That's the role of the Queen, isn't it? She sorts out all of these memories that are being passed there from the billions of different consciousnesses and makes them all quiet down. This guy recognises him <laughs> from not being a Borg and I'm thinking, what are the chances of that happening? All right, does he owe him money? <laughs> Is he an old pal from when he was playing... playing? No, he's one of those people who probably sat next to him in the canteen at one time when, when he was Locutus and obviously because Picard's gone on to do bigger and better things he's one of those yeah. where he's like oh I know Picard he tells all his mates yeah I, I'm like bezies with him so he's like on his coattails yeah yeah so now he's like I've got the, a knighthood Picard has an a Scooby-Doo who this fella was yeah. he met him for about 30 seconds at one point when he went and Shook got himself hand. a butty for yeah. lunch but this guy's been clinging on to it he's, he's been anyone who sits down at the bar going uh, alright mate alright mate uh, I know Picard you know alright Right. I didn't ask, but thanks for sharing. Name dropping. Yeah, that's yeah. all he's been doing. Yeah. You remember the Battle of Wolf 359? Well, I was on one of the Borg cubes. Maybe that's Dave. Maybe Dave named Picard. Dave assimilated. Yeah. Dave goes, I know Picard as well. They all talk the same, to be fair. <laughs> that's what happens when you get brought back from being a Borg. It messes with your vocal cords. And you talk a bit like this. <laughs> that's why the, the Borg generic voice is quite intimidating. Because we are the Borg. No, it's not really. It's Dave. They've strained the voice. Local yeah. God's talking like talking like Batman. We are the Borg. They're coming at the Borg in a really different way because I think Picard says Hugh's showing them as victims underneath all of that stuff, which is bizarre because. I think there's more that the Borg are going to play in this whole scenario. You're changing your tune from episode one. Well, they're trying to make us feel very sympathetic towards the Borg, which I think is deliberate to make us lower our guard down and forget the fact that they are the ultimate shits of the universe. And as we start to sympathise 
of the more I think, all right, I'm going to jump ahead here. One of my theories is that the fear is that Soji, being the ultimate synthetic that has been developed so far, will fall into the hands of the Borg, who will be able to then... Assimilate Assimilator and create essentially a Borg that will go unnoticed, at which point they'll take over the universe because no one knows who's Borg and who's not. They'll just quietly go about the business. A good theory. Mic drop. Or she's the one that is going to destroy the Borg and the Romulans don't want the Borg destroyed because that's their weapon. They've just weaponized the Borg. Technically, you've got two things that are diametrically opposed to each other, which is, yes, the individuals who've been assimilated by the Borg collective are in fact victims. The Borg as a species are not the victim. They're the victimizers, and what we don't want to do is weaponize victimization. No, well, you see, Romulans. I think there's more to this because that room full of Romulans were people who were rejected by the collective. I think there is something within the Romulan DNA that wasn't capable of being absorbed into the collective, and so I think the Romulans are trying to find out whether they've got an element of like a DNA DNA protection against being assimilated. At which point they can turn around to the Borg and go, "Do you want to buddy up? Because you can't assimilate." so you might as well be an ally an ally well that's an interesting theory that you have because if you go back to the episode the neutral zone kind of alludes to before we've even seen the Borg because we don't see the Borg at this point it alludes to that the Borg have been on the neutral zone border because they found that planet don't they, with huge troughs of things scooped away from it yeah and fans were like oh maybe the fan theory years ago it was Vija but Vija's 600 years too late but the neutral zone we never actually got a fundamental answer to why that was the case it very quickly went over that but that's the neutral zone where the Romulans are let's take what you're saying and attach it to existing canon is the chance that they have had a visitation from the Borg the Romulans before well, they must have done because they've got that cube now they have but I'm going back to well before the Borg ah, right, I'm talking okay. to the season one of next generation 30 odd years or whatever to the fact that the neutral zone was attacked by something that was never ever described by as the Borg specifically and will we get an episode of Picard that retcons that in and go well actually the reason why we are immune to Borg assimilation is because they visited us in 76 74 or whatever it was and they went nah we can't assimilate them it wasn't a full cube it was a recon team and that was that and then that recons that episode but then addresses what you're saying as a theory which is the Romulans contain some sort of toxin or something in their blood that prevents the nanites from assimilating them yeah very possibly yeah. I don't disagree with that hmm interesting where do we think this is going now because the back end of this scene there's two things that crop up the first one is Elnor now I'm going to touch on Elnor because he barely gets you like Elnor don't you well he barely gets a line in this in this episode but the lines he does get are pretty cool He's a bit like Rios. Neither of them have played massive parts so far, but both of them seem to be killer characters. I mean, Elnor's got some brutal lines that he keeps on laying down every episode. And in this episode, there's, there's no different. And then he's got these cool scenes, these cool fight scenes where he just lops off people's heads. It's <laughs> come what may. His scenes, I think he is underused as a character. Again, you want to give enough time to tell the story. I had the chance of repeating myself. 13 episodes, 16 episodes. You could do an episode centric on the character. And but we ain't got time, have no, we? We haven't got time. Although we might see more of him now because he's left stranded on the queue. Well, again, another example of just leaving a member of your crew. All of the crew are disposable. Although he did, he did try and tell him to come with him. I think it was a platitude myself. Oh, no. I, I, I bought that. I do genuinely Have you never been cards. at a bar when someone said, go and drink? It's like, oh, no, I'm fine, but really, you want one. <laughs> We've all been there. Only for pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you buy a round, but don't buy yourself one. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can always tell stinge bags to do that. Oh no, I didn't want one. No, no I'll just have a Coke. I'll just get myself. It's when you're counting your pennies in your pocket and you think the rounds come to £12 and you've got eight. I don't drink. Did you get us doubles? <laughs> um, what? <laughs> Double waters? <laughs> oh, they must be just weak doubles. <laughs> yeah. I.e. signals, you stingy buggers. We've got the transporter, which I'm sure will come into uh, your geek section. Probably. But Picard manages to escape with Soji to Enpente, which sounds very familiar to Rora Pente. Mm. The undiscovered country, which was an Easter egg I had that I thought was possibly a link to that. However, I've added to that Easter egg a little bit more. I didn't know whether it was going to be like in the Klingon space because it obviously sounds a bit like Rora Pente, mm. which is the Klingon, Klingon prison. Kong, yeah. yeah, whether or not they have similar sounding names so they might be in the similar space or whether it'll take us to our next point. Hugh, thinking about it, was an enormous plot wedge in the same way as Seven of Nine because it's exceedingly convenient that Hugh who Picard knows is the director of the cube where Picard needs to go before he knows he needs to go there needing Seven of Nine to help acquire somebody along the way when they happen to bump into each other but not realise that they need her to get the person that they need to get to the cube where the person who's the director is the person they need to be the director but they don't know that but it's dead convenient if you see what I mean easy for you to say (laughs) It's nice he's in. It felt like a bit of a plot wedge again. And he's also his mate because Hugh, the importance of having his name sort of being renamed. A callback to Hugh's time on the episode I Borg on the Enterprise where Picard having realised that he does have individuality and there is potential for him to come back from the collective. It's just a nice thing, but it is very convenient. It's like in the whole of space, every single person that Picard needs just happens to be, as you say, in the place. I mean, this episode was a good episode, but yeah. there's just little things like that which just feel a bit ham-fisted and heavy-handed. And I think that's more to do with the limited time they've got in order to do it, that they have to use these enormous plot points rather than perhaps a bit more time to be subtle they've given us a bit more in terms of maybe six more minutes eight, ten, ten, minutes. ten minutes would be to be generous if they had ten minutes across the last episodes we technically wouldn't necessarily need to be we've had an hour long yeah we wouldn't necessarily need to be shoehorning important things in and there could well be the opportunity to develop storylines and plots to allow us to go oh, that makes more sense now it doesn't you know you might for example they may not have needed to immediately find Hugh they could have gone to someone and went oh by the way you might need to find Hugh Hugh's a leading figure in the Borg reclamation project mm. um, there's a Borg cube where Soji is yeah. so once you speak to him he might be able to get you on board there would have been a, a better way of doing it rather yeah. than oh Hugh happens to already be there which is kind of handy Correct. yeah and they could yeah they could have travelled together it could have been Hugh on the crew or oh, you need to get this guy on because he's the director he's currently off planet at the moment but he'll get you access to the cube that would have been that would have been a reasonable assumption but everybody seems as you say just to be kind of where they need to be at the point of being needed yes that's where we're at have we got any other things to particularly dissect in this in this episode I mean presumably we're going to see Riker at some point because we're nearly running out of episodes well flipping heck and Troy if she's been mentioned well Riker and Troy presumably living together maybe they're living on Empenthe Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe Penthe is the planet they're on. Good theory. So, go on then. Tell us your Easter eggs. Warning! Warning! Nerd alert! The Easter eggs this week, I found, which were quite interesting, uh, we get mentioned to the 250-year-old bad mood, um, and I did some workings out after we were kind of assimilating the episode. And as I mentioned to you in the episode before last, where they've got the 
Romulan Bear of Prey, which is literally from the Balance of Terror episode. If you work out in canon, the first Romulan War happened about 100 years prior to the Balance of Terror. Star Trek canon would dictate that that was the pinpoint at 2156, roughly around the time of the prequel series Enterprise. So in the year 2399, that's about 243 years since the Federation and the Romulans have been mad at each other. 250 year bad mood would be about right. Which is about as long as yours has been. If not longer in cat years uh, we get a lot of flashbacks um, of Borg Cannon First Contact uh, we pick up all of them so Descent Part 1 and 2 Best of Both Worlds I Borg all referenced we get to see actual archival footage of Locutus used in did in you it. like that when he has the his face behind the screen I, I did like that it's just good cinematography isn't it and as you pointed out you can see how young he is oh he looks so much yeah. younger didn't he and I just thought it was quite nice essentially what you got in front there was a flashback of a flashback because of the first contact is him having a flashback of him having a dream as a Borg in Best of Both Worlds that's meta baby meta meta on meta and then in this series he's having a flashback to that so I just thought that was quite nice we get the references as I mentioned in this episode of I Borg when um, Hugh's talking to Picard about getting a new name and that's just the character development that happened on that episode when he was on Enterprise Um, it also references again Descent the episode where the Borg start to change and get the rogue Borg that we see that essentially Law taps into the Borg Queen alludes to Hugh saying about the Queen being a Romulan which could be metaphorical don't know we'll have to see it could be potentially a story arc where we find the behind the scenes are being played by a, a bigger baddie because we haven't really had a big bad in this episode have we? I don't know Narek did a pretty good job well I mean if you think about the canon and who's running the ship Telshiar um, you mentioned I think in episode 2 of this podcast series uh, Tasha Yar. Mm. Now, you know, think think broader. Think, let's bring in characters in. Who would you bring in that you haven't already had who's old next generation character? Tasha Yar's character, Denise Crosby. You think they're going to bring her in? Well, I mean, they have they brought in all the others. I mean, it's just a theory throughout there. Then you've also got to mention to Gold Plus Press Latinum. So last episode we talked about Quark and the, 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 the Ferengi. And again, we got reference to that Gold Plus Latinum. Because that, of course, was the currency that they used outside of the... Federation space yeah, yeah. as a as a currency. That's right. When we see Picard in his holographic suite, what's he in? What, what's his farmhouse yeah, that let's he call hates? It that, yeah. His holographic suite. He's doing research into the Borg, which is where we get to see all of the flashbacks and um, footage from all the series. He asks the computer to research the following terms, which is treaty reclamation project on the Borg and then that shows up like a whole pile of easter eggs um, from images of the Enterprise E to Hugh from the, the episode I Borg the sequence which is what we were referring to shows him overlaid against himself I thought it was quite nice you know Dr Girati's talking to him another scene about the Borg changing and obviously he's quite emotional about this because he doesn't really think that they can he says in fact doesn't he they don't change they metastasize kind of references his vengeance scene which I mentioned in the last episode with Alfie Woodard where he says they assimilate entire worlds and we fall back not again the line must be drawn here this far no further so another kind of strong Picard how message. gutted was Girati that she couldn't go on the cube it was quite funny when I think it was Rios was like oh, do you want to go and she was like, oh no 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 I wanted to stay here and it's written all over the face shit I need to be on that cube and Elnor who picks up on it a couple of times during this episode where I think at one point he says all your tension between you makes me feel really uncomfortable there's a lot of tension on that ship I mean, was that written on her face along with the word horny? <laughs> Someone's been playing a prank on her. Did they well, shave no. half her eyebrow as well? well? Well, no, because this is after the dirty deed, so she probably had written on her face, feeling a lot calmer now, thank you. 
Well, I mean, there was definitely, this episode was high-paced tension, let's be honest. Everybody was having some sort of tension (laughs) and anguish. This episode ends with a little bit of the the twist, I suppose you could call it. A wonderful mention to the Sakarins, which is, again, a voyage for those who are... I remember that episode as well. um, A species that the Borg assimilated. And then they obviously had the technology from that, which was a spatial projector that isn't seen in the film, but she mentions the Borg got it from the Sakarins, which is clearly they've assimilated related at that and that episode which is references the prime factors Voyager episode, which they tried to obtain the spatial projector from that species to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, if people remember it, and didn't quite work out. And that episode it was a Voyager one, so what's that? 2371. So the Sakorans had not been assimilated by the Borg at that time. Well, no, uh, he says this is after your time to Picard, didn't he? He says that before, to- No, sorry, it was before your time, did he say? I yeah. can't remember. He, he, he says this was after your time as a Borg, which is correct, uh, because... Yeah. But he was assimilated before 2371. Yeah, that makes sense now. Which I'm glad you said, because I've actually made a point of that. He mentioned the tech was after your time. So at some point after 7371, the Borg assimilated the tech from the Sakarans, which is their meeting with the Voyager. Just to stop you there, Sorry. it was quite interesting that there's a Borg ready room on every single cube, which I've never thought about before. You've always assumed the Queen was somewhere and that these were all working as independent vessels, but it seems they're implying there is one of these Queen Borg ready rooms on every vessel if mm. in case the Queen wants to go Pop on, along. Yeah, jump or be tran- or transport. Or transport yeah. from one to the other to the other, which is quite interesting. We've never thought that no, before. That was new. No, and I like that. See, I don't mind things with that when, when you introduce something that makes sense to the story because on every Starfleet ship, the, the captain's yacht, which notably we've not always seen, but it's always there. If you look at the schematics and you've been a bit of a geek and you've bought the, the books, I'll own up to that, on the schematics and you have all of the blueprints of all the ships, I'll own up to that as well. You know exactly how many torpedo tubes it has and all those all those different various, various floors and things. They all have a Captain's Yacht, which is a, a escape pod. What is pod, the Captain's Yacht? Escape pod. Oh, right, okay. And it's usually, if you think about the Enterprise E, which is the most recent one that's canon, if you look under the, the, the hull, as it were, that odd shape is the Captain's yacht all ah, right okay but we never i think voyager might have and possibly first contact or insurrection may have touched upon it in brief terms but we don't really get to see it. it's just a part of the ship that we don't really see or need to see but finishes the whole cannon off and so this spatial projector could explain what i've been saying before which is there's multiple versions of the queen and why there is because she's on there and again picard killed the queen in first contact and janeway killed the queen killed her in endgame alice krieg in fact came back for that part but we'd seen her in dark frontier unimatrix zero and obviously the picard then mentions in that same scene that it has a range of forty thousand light years which would make sense at the point of the episode in voyager would have been exactly the right amount of time it would have needed them for them to get home so they've done the maths not math if you're american it has an s on it and then as you've mentioned which roundly ends this section of the easter eggs nepenthe well you said it might be if they are they heading into klingon space because of the the rora penthe thing there's the penal colony which is the snowy asteroid that we see in the undiscovered country. Don't think they are because they've got to, at some point, they've got to go find Riker and Troy. And I can't imagine that they're living in the Klingon space. That could be one of the one of the theories. I would have thought they'd be on Beta Z or somewhere like that. What I've what I've done further to research the the whole Penthe thing. Oh my god, he's just picked up another paper, no, piece no, of paper with this, lots of notes. The Nepenthe, which is what you're talking about, to take it a bit further, could be 
a link to the Greek mythology Nepenthe, which is a fictional medicine for sorrow, a drug for forgetfulness, which is mentioned in Greek literature. Yeah, they often tie into these things, don't they? So they've done it in Discovery, Discovery, which you will find out if you listen to our Disco Fever shells, which are due to be out very soon. Indeed. Uh, The only thing I noticed, actually, which we didn't talk about, but I wouldn't say is an Easter egg, but an observation, you know, in when uh, Soji's having her flashback and she's having her, she's on unwa- she's unraveling because she's now aware that she's not real. We get to see her on a table like a Pinocchio, like a like a like a what? Like a Pinocchio? Pinocchio? Yeah, Pinocchio. Potato, potato. It's Pinocchio. 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 It's Pinocchio, isn't it? It's now. Contact us. Tell us who's right. Is okay. it Mark's pronunciation? Pinocchio. Is it Mark's or Mark's? <laughs> or is it Mark's? version which is Pinocchio let us know at this well, you said at you Picard said, talk you saying Pinocchio or I saying Pinocchio you said Pinocchio I did say Pinocchio yeah the she's, she sees herself as a wooden marionette thing <laughs> Um, broken and I just thought whether that's linked to the Pinocchio effect which is when a person <laughs> lies there's an increase of temperature on the nose and orbital muscle in the inner, inner corner of the eye uh, in addition when we perform considerable mental efforts to face temperature drops and when there's an anxiety attack on the face temperature rises according to a pioneering study and I wasn't sure whether there was a link to that seeing to the fact that she's been lied to and is also a synth that she didn't realise she was a synth and in fact does that mean that Narek is Geppetto. Not anymore, he's not. He, well, he didn't create it. Geppetto created Pinocchio. He's made herself aware, though. He He's told her... Yeah, but he didn't create her. Maddox was the one. Gepetto. Maddox is essentially Geppetto. Geppetto, yeah. Okay. So that's all I have this week. Very good. So, hopefully you've enjoyed that show. I'm sure there will be things we will have missed. In Probably. which case, fantastic. Stick some comments on our social media. It's at Picard Talk. Let us know what your thoughts are. There is still the poll that is running on this episode. It will be there until, I think it's about 10 o'clock on Wednesday night, UK time. Go on there, let us know what your thoughts are on it. Vote, and then we'll read out the results. And as I say, we'll, we'll read out your comments. Uh, Five-star reviews. Always. Well, always, yeah. No, well, any reviews, but we've we've now got four five-star reviews, which is fantastic. So we really appreciate that. If you can do some more, it gets us a bit more visible. So hopefully more people will see us and subscribe. And as a result of which, we will be able to do more. Absolutely. If you want to email us, it's picardtalk at thepodstation.co.uk. You can also visit thepodstation.co.uk where you can find a whole plethora of other shows on there, which are all fantastic. We have packages if you would like to do a show. So we do a full range from those who don't know how on earth to go about starting in the podcast right the way through to you just need hosting platforms and infrastructure to save you having to build websites and the like but in addition to that mark bonus round we also offer training indeed so there's a whole host of things that we can do for you so if you want to do a picard podcast like a rival yeah, or another Star Trek one. So if somebody wants to go back and do an X-Gen one or a Voyager one or a Deep Space Nine one, get in touch. Or we like Rafi, if you like wine, do a wine one. Yeah, or a sports or one. Or any, any one, really. Literally yeah. anything. We don't care. The it's world is your good. lobster. Exactly. So you can find all those packages on thepodstation.co.uk. We've also got patreon.com yes. forward slash thepodstation where Absolutely. you can throw a bit of money into the kitty, which will hopefully cover the cost that we, we have to pay to keep the station going and bring this content to you and again the more support that we get the more stuff we can do so you can have as much as you 
possibly can digest. The mind boggles. The exclusive things available to patrons is amazing. Why not see what will happen if you become a patron? We're also looking to increase our social media presence. On social media, we really want to try and reach that magic 500 followers, both on Instagram and Twitter. Anyone who becomes that 500th follower on both of those platforms will have as a guest on the show. That makes perfect sense. In addition to naming them. In addition to naming you. Unless, of course, you don't want to. not bother it's exciting there's yeah. loads of stuff to get involved Amazing. with so what would you give this episode out of 10 8 go on justify what? yourself man <laughs> the reason for that is simply visiting the board cube and getting the CQ I just quite like the, how it all linked in together I've already mentioned this the puzzle box analogy and the metaphor for it we're starting to piece it all together there just seemed to a lot of thought that got into the episode all the, all the connective tissue was happening and although there was pockets of frustration and maybe things that didn't need to be there with the romanticised aspects to the episode I thought that we're starting to see as we move into the final three episodes that things are now starting to make sense and connect further we saw it in the last episode to be honest I just felt that was much more moving in the right direction and I hope we get more of these I'm going to go an eight as well Why I think that? this is back on form yeah. it moves the story along because it was a longer episode it felt less rushed even though it was still well paced. Agreed, yeah. Characters who have up to this point perhaps been a bit irritating, like Narek, have served a purpose now. So that's good. We've moved the storyline of the whole Soji synthetic thing along substantially, which is great because it now feels like we're making progress. There were some good character tropes. So you got the likes of Hugh. He was brilliant. Rios was brilliant again. Rafi was brilliant again. Elnor was brilliant again. Good casting, isn't it? It's really, really good feels like it's after the blip from last week mm. which was a good episode and part of the reason why I, f- I was so down on it eventually when I settled on my final score was because as Ben said in his comments at the beginning has he just become a 500 member <laughs> if this had been a 15-20 episode series you'd have forgiven him for that sort of fun packed slightly unusual episode but because we're limited to 10 it just felt we were losing valuable time. The other thing that you need to remember is when you and I were watching Next Generation, a 26-episode season run, those episodes were generally self-contained, episodic storytelling. What we tend tend to see now is people assimilate, nicely done, series in a story arc, which is kind of how Deep Space Nine did a few episodes with with their sort of dies cast into the Dominion War. But if you look at seasons now, you've got your plot, your kind of plot A and your plot B, and they tend to continue across several episodes to a conclusion. Then you have to watch the whole season to find out what you were watching in episode one. The Next Generation seasons were generally self-contained stories that may or may not had a couple of little plot points that you pick up on or a character that may reoccur across another episode but generally speaking you could just tune into next generation watch an episode and be very happy that you've been provided with a, a genuine outcome these seasons now you've got to keep watching them to get your payoff and that's just how people are watching television these days and that's a different time to when we were watching it i think we've got to just be mindful of the fact that that's where we are and you and i may find that a bit more frustrating because we're not getting the answers until episode six seven and so on but still good yeah well back and form indeed without further ado we're going to bid you adieu thank you for tuning in tune in next week when we'll be bringing you much the same episode seven cheers guys take care make it so number one